0: Welcome back to Women of A.B.
1: Poly. I'm your host, Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. And I'm her co-host, Kathleen Smith, a.k.a. Kiki Planet. And we are going to get into
0: you know, something that's on everyone's minds, lips, and thoughts and prayers. Uh, COVIDs, vaccines, kids, all of these Yay. good stuff. <laughs> all the all the recent good news. Right? And we thought that it would be fun to do kind of a little Little bit well rounded uh, panel with some people who are bringing in a different perspective, but are all doing a lot of work on all of this. So we have from the University of Calgary, Dr. Gosha Gasparovich. She is a developmental biologist. Welcome, Gosha.
2: <laughs> Welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: And we have from the University of Alberta, Dr. Tseem Lada. She is a pediatrician and an assistant professor in the Department of Pediatrics and the Faculty of Medicine and Dentistry. Did I say at the University of Alberta? That was next. <laughs> Welcome, <laughs> to Thank you. And... Not from AHS. We have Shauna Garlic, <laughs> who is a nationally certified, provincially licensed medical laboratory technologist. Yeah, you got it. <laughs>
1: got it all in. And what a thrill! What a thrill to have this much education on the podcast. Right? I know. To I have know. you know all this accreditation and knowledge and real book learning smarts. I'm super excited <laughs> about it. <laughs>
0: So let's get right into the meat of this. Shauna, the the tweet, I'm I'm throwing this at you first because the tweet that I used when I was with the promo that we were going to record this session was the one that you said, you know, I hear people saying we haven't been researching mRNA vaccines very, very long, but let me tell you, we've been researching them for far, far longer than we have been, or sorry, than figuring out how to treat COVID patients. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I think, and and I mean,
3: we've all seen or heard the various, you know, conspiracy theorists who are insisting that we don't, we don't understand mRNA or or we don't understand mRNA vaccination, or we don't understand how to apply it or to use it, or we don't understand that it works. And I don't <laughs> think, I, I know you, you start, I mean, anybody in science just start, sort of starts laughing at that concept. Um, And I don't think the general public truly recognizes that we've been working on these concepts and applying these theories for decades, Um, whereas, you know, those same people are more than willing to roll the dice and be treated for COVID. When, you know, the rules certainly don't apply. We have only had COVID. I mean, obviously, we've had other illnesses, but we've only been dealing with COVID now for two and a half years or less. Um, And so I'm fascinated by people who will insist on one side we don't know enough, but are willing to put their lives in the hands of what could arguably be less knowledge. Yeah.
1: See, great start. Just kind of punch it. That's actually a valid point because I think it goes for all healthcare too. We're really seeing a disparity between uh, this this faction that doesn't want to accept the science surrounding COVID vaccines has accepted the science on healthcare for as long as we can remember, right? None of them are ever going to say, well, I'm not going to have chemotherapy for my cancer because I don't really know what's in that. And we know, we know that chemotherapy is extremely hard on the body Mm -hmm. and that's the way it needs to be in in order to fight cancer. So I really struggle with people who are raging against vaccines and calling them experimental, but don't question any other aspect of life health care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, we'll show up at the emergency room when they can no longer breathe because they've got covid.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I actually just talked to a family today that was hesitant about the the vaccine for their five-year-old and they said to me, um, but what about the long-term effects? We don't know for sure the long-term effects of the vaccine and I said, but we do know a little bit about the long-term effects of COVID and so far they're far, far worse Um, because you can get long COVID and it can be debilitating and you see this in children as well Um, and going back to what Shauna said the long-term effects of COVID are are, you know the really long-term effects are completely unknown we know some of the long-term effects Mm -hmm. um, and and it is it's rolling the dice it's saying I'd rather risk the long-term effects of this horrible virus that has caused this pandemic for two years um, versus this vaccine that has been Thoroughly researched and has been given in billions of doses worldwide now with no serious safety signals. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so there is a real disconnect there for sure.
3: I think people have this perception that they can pick and choose science, right? <laughs> they, can, they can, you know, everybody's okay, you know, driving over a bridge that an engineer, the science that he used to determine or she used to determine that it works. But mm-hmm. then in other things, they start picking and choosing which pieces of science that they want to believe. And which ones they don't, and and science doesn't work as it choose your own adventure. And I think right. a lot of people just don't grasp that. I but love, to...
0: I love that idea though of choose your own adventure because <laughs> yeah, that has because when I was, I, I ended up um, going into my local Facebook community group, and <laughs> yeah, and that
4: was a bad idea.
0: <laughs> it, it was, it was. Um, but I also kind of felt like. I actually do know some of these answers. And so am I doing my community a disservice if I'm just ignoring all of it? And so I went in, um, I made it, uh, I made it like 11 months, actually. I made 11 months and I was, I was in. And one of the things this actually led me down was someone had thrown at me um, the, the inventor of mRNA and a little more conspiracy theory side. But when I started to, to research this person and I started going through and I actually managed to find out that mRNA vaccines had been being used for over two decades in uh, the treatment of hemophilia. And I was like, holy, you know, thanks for sending me on this little adventure because <laughs> now I actually get to respond with, we've been using this for 20 years in like individuals and we know that they have to keep getting a booster because we know that it's not long term so I'm like <laughs> I'm like yeah I can answer all these questions now but it was it was probably about I'm gonna say three to four hours that it took me to go through everything because originally I went to the creators LinkedIn and then through his actually all of the things that he had listed on his LinkedIn I was able to uh, find all of this stuff just going backwards that way but it was it was helpful because it did actually teach me something but wow like how how do you not how 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 do you find all of this stuff out without actually knowing
4: the rest of the story like how do you stop there yeah people pick up what's what's easily presented to them like what's circulating on social media in Mm -hmm. sound bites and little video clips and um if the person has a lot of letters behind their name, or they're a physician, uh, then, you know, those are the ones that that really get picked up in a frenzy. And then, you know, you, you, you think and you say to these people, well, there's one or two physicians that are saying this, and then the, the 1000s of others are saying something mm-hmm. completely different. So why are we believing this one person? Um, it, it, yeah, it just it, it boggles your mind sometimes.
0: Mm -hmm. and I will say too that one of the reasons why his this individual's name was brought up he was uh, his name is Dr. Robert Malone and he was saying that it's not safe because of this spike protein thing which is how I ended up finding out that they the people that kept on with the research at the Salk Institute they're the ones who actually figured out how to get past that in 2017 so like again but this wasn't I couldn't do it from a meme. <laughs> this could not be I could
1: exactly. not have grasped all of this from a meme. Yeah. And unfortunately a lot of our science now is boiled down to memes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really you know, and not educating Ex- us.
3: Well, and people use they use sciencey sounding words in yeah. sciencey sounding ways and anybody who understands <laughs> it is like, "What?" And so you you get exhausted right. trying to explain the basics as to why, you know, the, the picture doesn't work. And then the other thing that I think frustrates everybody who's in science is trying to get across concepts like peer review or, you know, the news media will present a study as if that study is is somehow completely fact and decided Mm -hmm. and and solid. And everyone else who has ever worked in science knows that, you know, a paper is published and then everybody else reads it and we rip it apart, right? You know, how big was it? Who was incorporated? What did you do? What were your methods? What, you know, and so that's how we read science. That's how we yes. look at it, but the public and media don't do any of that. They present, uh, you know, a, a, one researcher's findings as if it's fact, and then the general public gets
1: very confused when we, you know, keep changing facts. Right. right? I, I think a great example of that too is the Wakefield study, which has mm-hmm. since been debunked, and you know, as we know, Wakefield lost his medical license. Mm-hmm. What is unfortunate, and for our listeners, that. But Wakefield was the doctor who um, released a study linking autisms to linking autism mm. to vaccines. And it's been completely debunked. Uh, he lied throughout his data. He pretty much invented data in order to testify in a lawsuit as an expert witness. Unfortunately, I think that event has done it's done so much damage to uh, vaccinations on the whole, because Mm -hmm. the lie traveled faster and farther than the corrective truth after the fact. And there are still people who believe the lies that Wakefield pushed out. I, I guess my concern is we're going to see that with the lies about the COVID vaccine as well, you know, that uh, there are people who actually prefer the lies, even if they are lies, because the lies fit with their own personal ideology and narrative. So how do we move past that, especially now that we can get kids vaccinated? And, you know, they, they don't have to be little carriers anymore. How do we move past that?
4: I mean, one of the things is we don't have A restrictions exemption program where you can opt to do a rapid test every 72 hours. I mean, you know, we need a real uh, vaccine requirement so that those people who uh, want to go to public spaces they need a vaccination. They can't just get a rapid test. It's um, that's just one of the many ways that this province has pandered to those who uh, don't believe in science or or are hesitant to get vaccinated. Um, And the real way is is to provide education, resources, awareness, right? All of those um, outreach efforts to to address those that are uh, vaccine hesitant. And, um, you know, in in clinical care, the large majority of families that I see that are vaccine hesitant are open to conversation and um, to to hearing things and discussing their concerns. There are very few um, true... Anti vaxxers that we keep seeing portrayed in the media that that don't want to listen to anything you have to say. So, I really think that public health efforts that work on messaging and education could go a long way. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
4: I have a question actually
3: along those lines. How do you have you seen the um, uh, email letter that was sent out from the Calgary Board of Education advising parents and students to not discuss vaccine? whether their kids have been vaccinated, knowing everything you've just said, which is completely true and valid. How do you respond to the fact that the Calgary Board of Education is telling people to not talk about
2: vaccination?
4: It just, it, it makes no sense. Gosha, sorry, you were
2: going to say something. <laughs> yeah, so I think it was, it was just in one school.
1: No, it was oh, the CBE. whole board. It was yeah, the it, whole board. It was Calgary the whole board. Of Calgary Board of, of,
0: education. of Education, Yeah, yeah. So I, I, the look on your face, <laughs> no, no,
2: <laughs> hold on. you cannot yeah. make a taboo from a topic and such that an important topic. And it's making a taboo because kids then cannot, like, no, taboo is harmful. You, you, like, if you, if kids cannot talk about vaccines to the right or to the left or whether they are good or bad, and it cannot be yes. discussed. So they are like, mm-hmm. okay, don't talk about it. It's, mm-hmm. it's bad because you cannot have any discussion about it then Mm -hmm. right
4: yeah yeah The the thing is with children in general i mean as as pediatricians and um you know as experts in their development we always say be open with children about things that are going on when you hide things from children they begin to fear those things Mm-hmm. Um, and so even when children are seriously ill, we really encourage parents to tell them what's going on, appropriate to their developmental level, of course, and with the vaccines and with COVID. I mean, I have a two-year-old, uh, and she she knows that she has to wear a mask now because of COVID, and um, and she has said, okay, so when I get the COVID shot, I can hug everyone. You know, she grasps some of these concepts, and um, I think it's really important for their mental health, their, their socialization, their emotional health, that, that Mm -hmm. they understand what's going on. I mean, and in the five to 11 age group, I mean, that developmental age, they need to be able to express their feelings about things, things they've heard, things they've thought, um, things they've heard at home. Right. And, And they do that about every other subject. I mean, there's no reason that they shouldn't about vaccines and, and, COVID has been very inflammatory for people, right? There's been this extreme polarization, Um, but that's not going to get any better by trying to silence children.
1: No. And that's part of Alberta's history too. This is something, (laughs) well, it just is. is. This is something that happens in this province uh, decade after decade. We're not going to talk about gay kids in schools, We're not going to talk about transgender kids. We're going to limit who can get into a GSA or if there's even a GSA by saying parents have to be informed. We're not going to talk about uh, teenagers having sex and we're not going to give them the HPV vaccine because, hey, you know what? That might turn our daughters into sluts. Like we have this long history Mm -hmm. in Alberta of protecting Protecting in quotation marks <laughs> our children from knowing the truth about things, the science about things, the implications of, of things. And I can't help but think that is part of what has led to us being a province that is uh, somewhat undereducated on specific matters that the rest of Canada is probably handing a little bit better than us. You know, because we we not only think that children can't handle the truth, but we extend that to the point where we're raising children who, as adults, don't want to talk and be open because we've spent so many years not talking about it.
0: And that actually, I'll I'll bring in Gosha right now because when you're putting out, or sorry, when you're when you're doing. The research that you do, which is on a lot of—I mean, you spend a lot of time with uh, spread and potential and modeling and things like that. So, let's talk a little bit about that because on the scare meter, right? Huh. You get that a lot. Stop fear mongering, mm-hmm. blah blah blah. Um, so, let's talk a little bit about about that aspect of you know maintaining knowledge and 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 continuing to I guess try to prepare people for what is coming
2: yeah so I mostly want to explain what is coming and why we know what is coming Mm -hmm. and especially explain it to decision makers yeah that was uh, from the start my main goal because they they are not always well informed and I think there is sometimes this negative feedback loop that they, like, people tell them what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. So there are advisors that tell them what they want to hear because they want don't want to be punished for saying something unpleasant or called fear-mongers or something. So that's this, this self-fulfilling feedback loop on on wrong information. And, yeah, so, I mean, like, I was trying to explain exponential growth from day one, almost, like, the back in March. that's how I found you <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, 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 and it's it's strange that it's still not not obvious but but you know, <laughs> you know, it's but, true it's it's funny <laughs> watching you be polite while you say that <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what like and each time for me the most scary moment is this very nascent time of new variant coming uh when it's not really visible yet in this like thousands of cases, like hundreds of cases, Mm. but I know, okay, we have the melanoma mole already that if we don't do anything about, it will spread and it will cause a cancer. Right. Like, so, but the time to act is now, the time to act is when there's this nascent phase, when, when it just starts rooting into the community. That's the easiest to stamp it out. It's the easiest to prevent new importations or new uh, introductions. And and now with Omicron, we are exactly at this phase. But exactly at this early phase, I got the most of the attacks of oh you are a fearmonger. Oh let's yeah, uh, let's be reasonable and not panic and like you know all, right. all those things. Like like actually that's the time when when we can do them like with the easy when it's the easiest to prevent what will come. But already here, I can see that if we don't do anything, for now, in January, we are in a disaster.
1: Well, we we know that's what will happen because Premier Kenny has said there's going to be a fifth wave. He's waved a white flag on a fifth wave before the fifth wave is even here. And there's a there's a, a certain abdication of responsibility associated with that because we we now have a government in this province that is far more willing to throw their hands up in the air and say, prepare for the fifth wave, it's coming, than they are to take action that would prevent that wave.
2: But also this is what he's doing, is misinformation, in the way that saying oh the wave is coming the wave is not coming it's not something outside of us we make it so bad Mm -hmm. policies make wave so he's making the wave but not by not acting basically so it's not something coming from outside it's
1: that needed to be regenerated thank you because i think (laughs) I think that's something even even those of us who accept the science and are doing our part and uh, fighting to end this eventually. I think that's something that we don't even fully grasp when we're discussing that discussing it is that waves aren't inevitable. Mm
2: -hmm. Waves,
1: waves aren't something we have to have. It's really about what precautions and what sacrifices we're willing to make now in order to prevent far worse. And we have leadership that simply doesn't want to do that. I guess my fear right now, especially is, um, we've got a premier who is desperate for his political life. And the timing of that with uh, the possibility of, of yet another, wave when our premier is going to be doing everything he can to bring the base back into the fold which means pandering to the very people who do not want to participate in ending this pandemic or preventing any more growth. Mm -hmm. I think that's a real concern for all of us now and and how do we go about pushing back against that? How do we fight the the misinformation when our only government is sort of feeding it.
4: (laughs) Yeah, it's a really difficult challenge, but I think the thing that's hopeful and that government could really grasp onto is the fact that we have so many other tools now. I mean, we don't just have lockdowns. We have rapid tests. We have vaccination. We have um, ventilation and filtration. I mean, if we actually utilized all of those other tools um, to their full potential, we could really mitigate these waves. um, You know, and so like in other provinces, how they're giving out free rapid tests, if there were recommendations around out that if that was occurring, um, if if ventilation and filtration were really paid attention to in indoor spaces, I mean those those things would all help immensely in, in making these waves smaller. Um, and they wouldn't necessarily, uh, you know, completely destroy um, perhaps the premier's political career if it hasn't already been.
1: Footnote: you know? <laughs> <laughs> <So, laughs> no, If it hasn't already been. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Deidre is sort of looking at me because I I sort of have a a, a small rant. I agree with absolutely everything you said, Dr. Lada, except for rapid testing. And here's why. Um, The tests that we use and, and that have been approved and been researched, they are designed to be used in clinical settings. They were only except for one, and I'll get into those. Um, They were all tested and designed for symptomatic patients in clinical settings, where the concern was to separate or to know quickly. Um, As well, the other approved usage is with uh, when you have mass outbreaks, where you're ensuring that your negative rapids are still maintaining quarantine. Mm -hmm. And the concern that I have, and it's a significant one, is that rapid[s] are being treated uh, by the public predominantly as if they absolve someone of having to, uh, to quarantine. Mm-hmm. So for example, um, the most common requests that we see on, on, on Facebook and, and Twitter and whatnot are people saying, I wanna go and have you know, dinner with grandma. We're all gonna go get rapid tested first, so we're safe or, you know, there's a kid in my, my kid's class who was tested positive for COVID. So we're all going to go be rapid tested and be safe. And the problem is, is that the design of the tests, and I I actually pulled the direction circulars. I've I've got their, their own research, one of them. So of the two most common used, one of them has never actually been tested, or at least they're published. Their results haven't been released on asymptomatic patients. So they won't even tell us how bad it is. The other one, the PanBio, is uh, only sensitivity, their sensitivity on negatives are 66%, uh, with a, a CI of 51.2 to 78.8. That's a coin toss. And yet people are using and anticipating using those tests to go and visit grandma. And that's what worries me because we haven't been clear about the significant limitations of rapid testing. So the general public is, is seeing them as, as a real negative, whereas you and I and and you know fully recognize that a negative on a rapid is possibly not positive, right? And there's yeah. a huge communication difference. And I think I, I know people present it as, as it's a layer, but I see it as a layer with a huge amount of holes. That has the tremendous potential to wickedly increase transmission in this province.
1: Yeah, I'm one of those people who had a rapid test done because I was at that time working in a job where I had to deal with the public all day, every day. Um, mine came back inconclusive. Mm-hmm. I had both done. Mm-hmm. I had the rapid test done, and then I had the you know nice big old swab up your nose done. But the rapid test came back inconclusive it was completely useless for me so that was something i started watching online the number of people who were getting a rapid test done at the same time as mm-hmm. the biggie test and getting the same results back inconclusive it certain of mine
0: always came back inconclusive too
1: see the good part about rapids is they're really
0: really
3: good at identifying a positive that's mm-hmm. that piece is good the problem is, is, they aren't as good at identifying a true negative. And, and it's sort of our interpretation. Lab people are used to interpreting, there's a word, <laughs> interpreting negative and a true negative but the average person Mm -hmm. is not. And so people are taking the rapid negative as a free pass and off we go and I'm safe and I can, you know, view the, you know, participate in the world, Mm -hmm. but that's not how the test was designed. And we as, as professionals have not been clear about that at all. And I can see it because I've got, you know, we've got politicians demanding five, you know, for their kids so they can use for outbreaks in schools. Um, And and when, when we start to see public policy um that's driving uh you know a request for testing that isn't going to do what people think it's going to do that's when I start waving mm-hmm. my little lab shauna hat around and, and <laughs> getting getting a little cranky to put
1: it <laughs> well and um I think Dazeen brought up uh free rapid tests, so mm-hmm. that's a topic I'm kind of torn on <laughs> this is when the uh The teeny tiny little conservative that lives inside me gets a bit upset because I really don't think that as taxpayers, we should have to pay for all these rapid tests for people who refuse to get a free vaccine. Oh, yeah, no, it's frustrating. Yeah, it shouldn't be
4: for unvaccinated. So like right now, and Shauna, you should call me phasing, not Dr. (laughs) Latta, I, I, I agree, there's big concerns around education, around rapid tests for sure. Um, I've seen an amazing graph um, that looked at the sensitivity of the Abbott Pan-Bio um, at different levels of viral loads. So different levels of infection and infectivity. And it found that as your viral load increases, of course, um, the sensitivity of the test also increases and it becomes quite sensitive, like 70 to 80%, I think it was actually closer to 80% sensitive um, when you're at a viral load where you're infectious. And so, you know, at the lower um, viral loads, yes, it's a coin toss, but at those viral loads, you shouldn't be infectious according to what they've determined is an infect, infectivity. Right. See, my
3: concern would be, you know, 80% is great and you and I look at it as great. But that's still 20 kids out of 100 yeah. who
4: can go and spread. That's right. the piece and that so, I No, I agree. And so it shouldn't be used as a free pass. And it shouldn't be used to encourage people to meet up. I mean, people should still be encouraged. That's, that's follow- why they're doing it, right? <laughs> well, they should be encouraged to follow gathering limitations. But yeah. I think the fact is that there are many people that are burnt out and will not be following gathering limitations. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know, if they add to that a rapid test with 80% sensitivity at an, at an load where you're um, actually infectious um, and somebody tests positive and they refuse that person into their gathering. So if they're using it in that way, uh, it, it will actually decrease transmission. And there have been studies on um, test to stay in schools, but again, that's a daily test. So as soon as you become infectious, you stay home from school, um, so that's in right. a close contact of a child in school who's positive. Um, instead of you know going home and 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 quarantining, you take a test every single day and attend school every single day. Um, and then when you become if if you become positive, you stay home. So there's different ways it's been studied, but but I agree, Shana. There needs to be a lot of education around that, and those free tests are really to, to reduce inequity. So those people who cannot afford $10 a test for their 10-person, right now it is gathering, right, mm-hmm. um, should still be able to access it to ensure um, that their 10-person gathering is safe just as Uh, just as the rest of us who may be able to afford a rapid test could could do that. And of course, the other layers would be in that indoor gathering, opening some windows, having a a HEPA purifier if you can, um, having good ventilation. Um, But, you know, Sean, I also agree with with the same premise around masks. Like, I think we've, we've recommended masks, and of course they're amazing, but people are still wearing crappy cloth masks because the education around that is not good right? And, and crappy cloth masks have 30% filtration rates, right? And so, so I think it's the same thing. You're, you're right, we need a lot of good public health messaging around COVID is airborne. Um, uh, that's or- the first thing you have to start with. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> getting getting <laughs> politicians to admit that it's airborne. Ooh, is airborne. airborne. Yeah.
4: So you need a good KN95, right? Mm-hmm. You need a good medical. A
3: fitted KN95. Yeah, that's yeah. the other problem, right?
4: Well, the 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 studies actually show even if you don't get it medically fit tested, um, a non-fit tested KN95 has a much higher filtration rate. I mean, you kind of have to pick which one fits your face best. Um, But there's so many Canadian companies making them, and now we're Mm -hmm. seeing some of the city councillors and some of the NDP MLAs starting to wear them in the ledge and in 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 indoor places. So it's starting to penetrate you know some of the community members and and policy, but not enough, right, Shana? Like we need way more education around these things. If we could
0: oh I want to ask because uh I think I'm the only one who's got my kid at home. Hmm. I don't know what's actually going on in schools. You've got yours too. So So, like, what what are they doing? What are their masks like this year? Last year it was, you know, the canvas uh, one. It's it's whatever they bring from home. Yeah, and if they choose to put it on, and
3: if they choose to wear it, I thought they made it mandatory. Mandatory. Um, But I mean, you know, teachers. This is why my kids at home. This is is why my kids. Teachers are under enough burden just trying to, to teach. But all of these extra layers, so I do not fault teachers for having, you know, to to just sort of draw a line and say, that's as good as I can do. Um, From a public policy perspective, what I'm currently more than a little ragey about is that in my kids' class alone, we have two positive COVIDs. And yet when you get the little letters, it's very clear that your child, you know, does not need to quarantine as a close contact. They're still, they can still come to school. um, but but they should avoid you know other group activities for fourteen days. It's sort of like you've just given me two completely conflicting statements. I'm supposed to avoid my child is supposed to avoid public things, but I'm sending her out to the public with you. Yeah. So so that all of them they they can just maintain their little infectiousness marinating pool. <laughs> And, you know, another kid in three days,
1: right? But so, that's, you know, it, it's an important point that Sean has brought up. And I think that's part of the reason why we're continuing to see so much spread too, because this government has made um, the, the mandate so confusing. They've complicated something that didn't need to be complicated. So uh, I, I can't have my mother-in-law, my brother-in-law and his wife, over for Christmas dinner with us because it's too many households. But I can go to a restaurant (laughs) with 12 people all from different households and sit at a table unmasked and eat with them. This doesn't make any sense. Just common sense would tell us that it's safer for me to have three vaccinated family members in my home than it is For me to go out to a restaurant with a variety of people some of whom may not be vaccinated and have only uh, gained admission to the restaurant with a rapid test wouldn't my home be the safer space I think that's part of the reason why Albertans are just throwing their hands up at this point too we're two years into this it's Mm -hmm. two years And this government is still incapable of just bringing in mandates and guidelines that can be universally applied across the board that are easy to understand restrictions. And I don't know how we get past uh, spread in the schools, spread in the communities until everyone actually understands what's expected of them.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna throw that back at you there, Gosha. (laughs) (laughs) you're the because you're the one who's watching these numbers
2: I think the problem is that we don't have clear end goal why do we Mm -hmm. do those restrictions Mm -hmm. it's like whenever we had restrictions and we stopped like bound the wave downwards then we reopened without killing the virus so it's and then we ask people to sacrifice their their life again like their freedoms or what like <laughs> contact with, with others and then afterwards we, we again open and let the virus spread so it's like just keeping this virus oscillating all the time which is which is not good like it's not like two years into it people are tired and I don't blame anybody for being tired of it mm-hmm. so as doctors
1: and scientists in this field what What would, if you had your way, what would we do right now, today? What steps would we take to fight facing another wave?
2: So now the thing is that we will have, if we don't change anything, we will have Omicron. It's doubling every three days in Ontario. It's Mm. RT value is 3.32. And it's RT value. So RT, like under current... um, Conditions, how many to how many people on average? One person, one infected person spreads it. 332 is higher than R zero for original variant. So original variant would spread slower without restrictions, without vaccinations than Omicron is uh, spreading now in, in Ontario, with many people being vaccinated and with restrictions they have in place. So it, it's, it's extremely fast. And once it's settled, like once it establishes itself here,
1: mm-hmm. there's
2: no reason to believe that it won't spread that fast. And doubling time of three days, it's three days. So basically once we hit 500, that means then in six days we will be in 2000. So it will quadruple in six days. Okay. And another three days it will be 4,000 cases. And then even if it would be milder, which probably it's not, then if it's, even if it would be like 10 times less severe than Delta is, then it still would kill more people and, um, and disable more people than Delta because it's so fast. Uh, so basically if now we would have five, so I don't know if it's established already in Alberta or not. We, we have reported 23 cases. I don't know if they already spread to like I, would, I would
3: assume it's established. Yeah. I, I think we can assume that pretty. Yeah. So if, what do you see happening
2: in so where? From, where are we at in a month? So, from if we would start if we today we would have five daily cases of Omicron, then in early January we would have two thousand daily cases. Um, like so, it's from- exploded in thirty yeah. days, and, that, and I don't. I, that's going to make it
1: even worse than the last wave was for our healthcare system.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: That's what I was going to say. What, what does our hospital look like in 30 days? We have already, you know,
3: to describe everybody in, you know, that's in practice as burnt out is probably an understatement. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this lull has allowed uh, or <laughs> allowed is the wrong word, but given a lot of people finally the, the uh, you know, ability to retire uh, without feeling guilty or to leave the province, or to explore other employment options. And, you know, we already know we have a significant uh, surgical backload that's sitting waiting. Um, you know, we already know that we have cancer patients who you know are being told that there's nothing that can be done at this point because they were delayed so long. Um, and we are staring down uh, a wave that literally no one wants to acknowledge is coming. Literally, no one. And to describe this as the you know Christmas calm before the storm is probably the understatement of the century. It's um, you know, and we can already see it. It's not like we can pretend. I mean, that's what Kenny's trying to do. With to to uh, you know, from a policy per perspective, he doesn't he doesn't want to admit that this is coming because then he might have to adjust his own freaking Christmas holiday plans, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're all going into Christmas doing all the things that you know we've been unable to do. Uh, or at least you know trying to do, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, by mid January, and that's why I specifically asked. I I I see us if by mid January in chaos, and by the end of January, I don't even know where we're going to be at. I don't. I have no. I don't even want to think about it, to be honest with you. And that sounds. I'm normally not a naysayer. I'm normally normally not the the pessimist in the room, but I think with the spread of Omicron and our level of unvaccinated individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't foresee good things in Alberta in
1: 45 days. Well, and we're seeing that the uptake on vaccines for kids in the rural areas is horrific. Yeah. It's at 10% right now. Yeah. And we're not going to, we can't, we can't put a wall against anything when, when we have an entire faction of this province who, who won't even grab the golden ring that's hanging right in front of their faces. You know, that's the part I don't understand. We all want out of this. We all want out of this Alberta. I'm a 54 year old woman. I can't afford to lose two years of my life right now because here's a news flash for you. The older you get, the more precious that time becomes for you because you really don't know how many healthy years are ahead of you. It becomes about quality of life. My my teenage kid has lost their entire middle school experience because of this pandemic and the entire time all any of us have to do is take preventative measurements and get the vaccine Mm -hmm. that's all we have to do since we know that we're probably going to be facing this wave and we know that uh our premier and our minister of health and our government in general isn't going to do a lot in the way to prevent it i'd like to ask each of you to give uh, one, one basic tip you would really encourage Albertans to follow this holiday season. If you had to, one thing that we can all do to fight back against an impending wave, what would it be? Oh, no, no, not silent. Who wants to start? Yeah. <laughs> one thing there's just so many things right mm-hmm. right what do you think the most important thing we can be doing right now is vaccination i'm and, sorry and could- vaccination hands
3: vaccination, down nation get vaccinated other yeah, and and along with that and this sort of links to the problems that we're having is that um you know they announced that everyone over the age of 18 was eligible for a booster uh, and healthcare workers and all the rest of it and nobody can book them yeah. because you know i mean and uh, understandably they've staged it but we have open appointments and a whole lot of people who want to book them who can't use them. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of frustrating in that they're holding off on people who want to be vaccinated
1: to hold space for people who don't want to be vaccinated. Yeah, and it was really freaking frustrating for me. And we're past that point. We're past that point. Anyone who has not got their first dose by now, I'm sorry. I accept we can't change their minds. They can go talk to their doctors about it. I'm not fighting about it anymore. But we've got to stop making everyone else wait for their boosters while we try to convince a faction that's never going to get the shot anyways to get the shot. It's got to stop. Yeah, Because those people are putting our lives at risk. Mm -hmm. They're specifically putting my kid's life at risk because she's uh, immunodeficient. So why do we continue to hold space for the people who won't take the most minute step? hmm yeah we're being polite in a manner that we need
3: not be polite we are, yeah i think being, we're over
1: that
4: we're all being very polite <laughs> Being very, we're pandering to them though right we're really mm-hmm. pandering to them and that's what's gotten us into this situation over and over again so yeah they i mean booster shots when when you look at omicron some of the initial evidence shows that without a booster so without a third dose Um, immunity is quite low with just the two, like 30, 40%. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, yeah, we need those boosters and we need them fast. And I think, you know, if there's one thing I could say, I would, I would tell the public that remember that COVID is spread by sharing air. Because there's still so many people that think, "Oh, but I sanitize my hands all the time. I'm not going to get sick, right?" Yeah, sharing air. So if we can use the analogy that if you are in the same room as someone, if you are in indoors with somebody else, it is the same as both of you licking a doorknob. Okay, Mm -hmm. like you know, or if you are in an indoor space in a restaurant with a bunch of other diners, you have all licked that doorknob to get in. So like, because people understand that they understand mm-hmm. they don't want to lick the same doorknob as, as as all those, those other patrons, but that is what you're doing. When you're in there, you are sharing the same air and that is where COVID lives.
1: Yeah. right? Yeah. So, and I think it's important to point out to our listeners that uh, Dr. Lada isn't saying, don't, don't worry about hand sanitizer. Don't worry so much about washing yeah. your hands. <laughs> That's Still basic do that. stuff. That's basic <laughs> stuff. The fact they had to tell us that at the beginning of this pandemic <laughs> is worrisome. You should be doing that uh, outside of a pandemic. You should be doing that regardless. Every time you go to the bathroom, keep your hands off your face in the meantime. That's Although, just basic. I hygiene have to say stuff. Three years of not having norovirus go through my house has been absolute bliss. <laughs> so keep washing your hands, people. Wash your hands, sanitize your hands, but the theatrics that happen at our government pressers with the CMOH and the premier and the minister of health and all them going up there and sanitizing, sanitizing, (laughs) you know, they're breathing each other's air. It's, it's it's become quite theatrical and I'm not sure what the purpose of it is when what we really need Dr. Dina Hinshaw to say is, guess what? It's airborne. It's aerosol. Put on a mask.
3: Twitter pointed out an excellent and made an excellent point is that the reason that the government won't do it is because that there are workplace health and safety uh, regulations that they would suddenly have to uh, pay for and enforce Mm -hmm. i.e. schools and start having proper ventilation in our hospitals in our schools in our workplaces that they don't want to have to acknowledge and if they admit it's airborne then they have to start acknowledging those things and that's
1: just that's so distressing to me. That is so distressing that we are a province where deaths are just the cost of keeping taxes low. Yeah, it's just the way it it works here. And comes
4: back to that ignoring, ignoring, right? Avoidance of talking about things, of what's happening. Just keep pretending things are normal and silence those who say they aren't, Right. Yeah. And I,
1: I think it's important for our listeners to know that we all have a choice in this. So when the premier relaxes the guidelines, which he says he's going to do for the holidays, it doesn't mean you have to relax yours, Alberta. You can take personal responsibility. You can stick to the current mandates. And you know what? If you're doing more than the current mandates, that's awesome, too. Yay for mm-hmm. you. But just because our premier decides to relax the restrictions doesn't mean you have to re- relax your personal restrictions. Christmas could provide a fantastic break to
3: keep everybody separate mm-hmm. for two or three weeks. And then we come back in January and hopefully Omicron has not made the inroads that it can if we are all socializing uh, as Same we day. are expected. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. And fortunately the school, there will be school holidays and now schools are driving the spread in Alberta.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So maybe it won't start that fast the spread of Omicron, but yeah, we have to do as much as we can to to prevent transmitting from one another to, to another. Exactly what Dr. Lada said that mm-hmm. I, I, I sign under it totally. Like if we know that COVID is airborne, that if, that we get infected by the shared air, then then we have tools to stop it to, to prevent it. Like thinking about it, like, like cholera, we el- we For practical purposes, cholera is eliminated in Canada. When it is brought in, there is a, maybe a little outbreak, but then it's gone again, right? So we, for practical purposes, without the vaccinations, we eliminated it by mm-hmm. by technology, by. By engineering solutions, by filtrating the water, by cleaning the water, but but not drinking, by not drinking fecally contaminated water. So, in the same way, if we clean the air, if we don't inhale contaminated air, like not fecally contaminated, but <laughs> hey, I'm okay with I'm okay with getting rid of that too. Yeah, think <laughs> of <laughs> what I do for a living. That's fine. Trust me. <laughs> so, yeah. So so then we can we we, we can we can stop it. And we also have other tools. So we have this engineering tool, cleaning the air. We have vaccines. Uh, we have like public health measures, like temporary, temporarily limiting the contacts of people so that it can be quenched down to zero, mm-hmm. like stopping community transmission. Once you stop community transmission, it's much, much, much easier to fight outbreaks. To fight individual outbreak is super easy, but being in a huge wave, it's, it's almost uncontrollable without strong, strong measures. Mm-hmm. So, if we just understand that, we can, we can stop it. And the thing is that we are connected with the world. So, mm-hmm. we should push for sharing the vaccines with the yeah. rest of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Not only sharing, yeah. but yeah. making it possible. So, dropping the patents so mm-hmm. people in other parts of the world can just make vaccines for themselves.
1: Right. Viruses. Viruses don't respect borders, Alberta. Viruses don't understand borders. They don't respect borders. And or mutate. government rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And they mutate. We are not fighting the same enemy all the time. The enemy evolves much faster. Like, we we don't. We, I'm the same person. I'm not evolving. Um, <laughs> but the virus is like, I don't know how many million generations already passed during those two years. Right. Um, so now with this Omicron that is spreading faster than original variant, it, the Omicron is spreading faster with all the measures we have than original variant would spread without the measures. So we just generated a monster by not accepting reality and not, eliminate, not, not aiming for elimination. Whether total elimination is possible or not, that actually doesn't matter. If we aim for it, we will have very, very low levels Mm-hmm. And we won't create an, another monster, even even worse than Omicron. So that's... yeah, because
4: people say, right, no one is safe until everyone is safe. Bang, bang, bang.